Welcome to this episode of Living Legends, brought to you by the New Farm Insider. I'm your host today, John Reitman, and our guest is Phil Shoemaker of Desert Highlands in Scottsdale, Arizona. Phil, thank you very much for joining us today. Certainly. Now, you've been in Arizona for a long time, but you are a native of the Columbus, Ohio area, Dublin, I believe, specifically. How did you get started in the business in your days back in Columbus? Oh, way back. I grew up in Dublin, went to Dublin High School, and a typical high school kid looking for some sort of summer income, and I started out caddying at Mirfield Village. Um, from there, it, caddying was, for the most part, it was good money. It wasn't consistent money. Some days good, some days bad. Um, watching the guys out there mowing fairways and mowing greens, I thought, hell, I can do that. And next thing I know, I'm on the golf course mowing grass. What was it about the golf business that drew you in initially? The, um, you know, the daily satisfaction of looking back at that day's work and not only what you did, but what you, you your team did with you on some minor little improvement or major improvement to the golf course and just being outside and the whole nature thing. So after you graduate from high school, you continue working at Muirfield. I did. I, I stayed at Muirfield for, I was there for a total of five years. Um, I did go to, during that five-year time, I went to Rutgers and, and got my, my degree there, certificate there, and um, came back to Muirfield, worked, I think, one more year, and then the opportunity to come to Desert Highlands came up in 82, um, came out here, interviewed, and I don't know, two months later, I was out here working. You grow up in Dublin. You're a stone's throw from Ohio State, working at a golf course built by the best golfer to ever come out of Ohio State. How did you end up at Rutgers and not at OSU? Uh, there was some financial assistance there from Nicholas to go to Rutgers. Um, and obviously, young kid, no money in his pocket. You take whatever help you can get, and so I took that. Just that opportunity to go there and, and you know, just like I was saying a minute ago, just whatever financial help you can get, somebody takes. And um, so I went after it. It was a kind of a crash program, but it's obviously it's worked out well for me. You've worked at Muirfield, Desert Highlands, Desert Mountain, Loxahatchee in Florida. How did you land at each one of those? Because each one's a career destination. Yeah, I, I, I suppose I could agree with that. I, I guess timing of of being at the right place at the right time and at the age of the career thing and the way golf was growing back in the 80s, I, I got kind of lucky on some of that stuff. But um, when I came to Desert Highlands in 1982, um, I moved out here in June, and you go from Ohio gloomy weather to desert heat. It, it was a bit of a shock and took some adjusting, but I adjusted pretty quick. But I worked here for four years, did the first two skins games, um, and then the developer that did Desert Highlands um, purchased a piece of property, which used to be known as the Carefree Ranch, um, which is now Desert Mountain, um, came to an agreement with Jack to design that, and um, I continued on with the developer to go up to Desert Mountain, and I built the first three golf courses up there. Um, at the time, Desert Mountain was only planned for three golf courses. There was no plan for the six that are there today. Um, that somewhere evolved later on down the road. Um, 
Desert Mountain was getting kind of big. Um, three golf courses was a lot to take care of. And the developer was kind of trying to get his his head around how to manage all of that. And the opportunity came up. At the same time, the opportunity came up to go do or take care of Loxahatchee Club in, in Jupiter. And, um, you know, who wouldn't want to go do that? It was, at the time, somewhat of Jack's home course. He played there a fair amount in the spring times. Um, who would pass that up? So I went there. Um, spent nine years there, and um, it was a great job, great golf club. Personally, I'm not a big fan of Florida. Um, so the opportunity came up to go back to TPC of Scottsdale, um, which kind of gave me uh, an out from Florida, if you will, an in back into Arizona. My wife's family was all from here. Um, so we came back, and I worked at TPC for a couple of years. Um, TPC was great. Boy, the Phoenix Open is a huge event. I, I never realized how big that event was until you go through a couple of those. Um, and then um, I was, you know, from Desert Highlands, from Mirfield Village to Desert Highlands to Desert Mountain, that, that phase of my career was all high-end private. I knew how the politics of it worked. I fit into it. I understood it. Um, and, and made it work. And the TPC, while, while it was a great experience, the corporate environment was just a little different for me. Um, wasn't quite the fit that I was was accustomed to. And when Desert Highlands came open um, in the late 90s, I jumped on it, and here I am 19 years later. Almost every place you've worked has been a Jack Nicholas course. Talk to us a little bit about your relationship with Nicholas or the, the affinity you have for him and the, the loyalty that you have toward him? I guess the loyalty could go back to just my start, my early days at Mirfield Village. Um, you know, like I said earlier, I caddied there a number of times, and I had the opportunity to caddy for Jack a few times uh, when he was just doing his practice rounds or, or whatever. And, you know, and, and obviously he was playing with some, some names. Tom Weisskopf played there a lot, and some of Jack's buddies played there a lot, and just kind of developed that that interest and desire to be part of that world, if you will. Um, and so there was some connection there, um, and just the connection with, you know, the whole Ohio thing and, and all of that. Um, and then I, I suppose at the same time the timing of, of my career growing at the same time the whole golf world was growing back in the 80s um, and the Nicholas was building a lot of golf courses um, it, it just I guess I kind of got lucky in how it stayed connected that way um, I had one opportunity years ago to kind of get away from the Nicholas courses if you will um, I went and did the first interview this was probably 25 years ago I went and did the first interview and and great club, nice club, looked like a great opportunity, but I, I just decided to stay where I was. Um, so I passed on that interview, or after the first interview, I declined. Um, I guess it just always worked out that way. It wasn't really part of an overall long-term career plan, just one of those things that kind of happened that way. Throughout each of the Nicholas properties where you've worked, are there any similarities that carry over from one to the next? 
Yeah, the, you know, the standards obviously are pretty high. Um, expectations are pretty high. Um, you know, and all my dealings with Jack over the years, and, and I've had my share of them, um, he knows quite a bit about growing grass and whether it's weeds or diseases or what kind of grass or what kind of mowers or mowing heights or any of that kind of thing. Obviously, he would just from his experience, but um, sure, I gleaned a lot from that. Um, each one of the golf courses has its own unique challenges on how to take care of them. I have, of the courses I've been on, I've always felt like Desert Highlands was probably one of the hardest ones to maintain. Um, Loxahatchee was probably right behind it. Um, but, you know, it's all the, the shaping and the design of the mounds and the moguls around the greens and all that. A lot of handwork. Um, I'm not sure there's too many golf courses around that, that take the claim of needing to use a triplex mower to mow roughs. That, that kind of adds to the challenge of it. But, you know, the standards are there. I learned a lot from that, from the Nicholas Agronomy Department, all those guys that work there. You know, i got to give kudos to Ed Etchells. He kind of was my mentor through the years of, of younger years of a superintendent. You know, I learned a lot from those guys, and it's been a great benefit. Along those same lines, who are some of the people who were instrumental in helping you along in the early days of your career? Well, I, you know, i got to say Ed Etchells was one of them. He kind of kicked me in the butt sometimes when I needed it. We all need it from time to time. Um, and at the same time, he was very supportive of what I did and what I wanted to do and my desire to get it done. You know, lately I've gotten a lot of help from, from Ronnie Duncan. He's helped me turn Desert Highlands around. We've had some, some water issues here that, that have been a huge challenge. Um, Milt Engelke has been a big, big benefit to me over the years. He helped me a lot in Florida. He and I have stayed in touch over the years. Um, those three guys have, have been a big plus for me. We're going to take a quick break for a brief commercial message from our sponsor. Pinpoint Fungicide from New Farm Americas contains a new active ingredient to deliver outstanding early and late season control of dollar spot. Pinpoint provides superintendents and turf management professionals with an excellent fungicide rotation partner to optimize disease management stewardship. Pinpoint's unique and targeted active ingredient has been proven in university performance trials and delivers outstanding control of dollar spot, take all patch, fairy ring, and brown patch to ensure a clean field of play. For more information, visit newfarm.com. We're back on Living Legends, sponsored by the New Farm Insider, with our guest Phil Shoemaker of Desert Highlands in Scottsdale, Arizona. Was it ever a career goal of yours to pursue professional events? No, I don't think so. Um, you know, when I got into this business, I was pretty young. I was still, you know, a high school punk kid, if you will, and a little bit oblivious to the entire golf world because golf was not in my family. My family doesn't play golf. Um, I played at the time very little. I don't play at all anymore to do some health issues, but um, I was a little bit oblivious to the entire golf world. So I kind of, no, I didn't really have any desire for the major events. And once I learned all about them and what they were by then, I'd already done the Skins games. I did the first two traditions at Desert Mountain. 
And then by the time I got through the two Phoenix Opens, while there were great experiences, um, I was getting to a stage in my career where I just wanted a nice, quiet little 18-hole facility, and here I am. If you go back to the early days of your start at Muirfield in the 70s and Desert Highlands in the early 80s to today, that's quite a span. How has turf management changed in that time? You know, I think it's changed a lot. I may ramble here for a minute, John, on you on this one on you. It's changed a lot. Obviously, the mowers have gotten a lot better. I remember when we used the old Toro Series 4 walkers, and to get down to the lower heights that we wanted to, we had to grind off the backside of the bed knives just to get down to the 5 sixteenths of an inch or 5 sixty-fourths of an inch. And, you know, now you can buy the thin bed knives, and you don't have to do that kind of work. You've got the extra blades on the mowers. Um, so overall, the mower technology, I think, has really gotten a lot better. You know, how I've got groomers on my fairway mowers now. We never had even thought about grooming fairways years ago. You know, same way with the brushes on the mowers. I, you know, I, I brush fairways every day, and there was days we never even dreamt of brushing them. You know, and then the chemical side of it, Primo's been a huge plus, at least for those of us out here in the Southwest anyway, trying to grow Bermuda grass. You know, and, and I think the... I hate to use the term because I don't want to be one or I'm not one, but the whole micromanaging of the business, I think, has come a long ways. People are really delving into the science of it, you know, even if it's just little things of the timing of a pesticide or an insecticide application. You know, you just have a lot more data, a lot more information on that kind of thing. The universities, I think, have become a lot more diverse in those all those um, different products and processes and procedures, just all the research that's gone into it, it's, it, it really has come a long way, and I, I, obviously it's for the better. It's made our jobs easier. You know, the, the whole internet thing is, you know, you can just go on there and Google a label, and there it is, instead of hunting through your files or whatever, if you've got to remind yourself on label rates or something. But just information is, is right at your fingertips. The other big thing I see that, that's helped a lot is you can call any one of your superintendent buddies or even not a buddy, another superintendent anywhere in the country and pick up the phone and ask them information, and, man, they're going to share it with you. Nobody's got anything to hide there. The only competition I can think of between golf courses is the real estate market. You know, everybody wants to sell houses and, and get that new member on property or or whatever it is, but you know, otherwise, if I got a problem or somebody else has got a problem, we pick up the phone and we're talking or we're emailing or we're texting or whatever it is, trying to work through or or help each other out. It's that's been a big one there. How much has Desert Highlands changed, going back to the first time you stepped foot on the property? Um, you know, Desert Highlands was originally built with the the Pencross greens. And then 2008, we switched them over to Mini Verde. It's obviously at that time it was a little bit controversial. There's still a few clubs around that have bent, um, but most everybody anymore has gone to one of the new hybrid Bermudas. The grass on the fairways and the tees is all still the same. The design philosophy of the club is still the same. We have a, a, a stronger, tighter involvement with the city of Scottsdale on our our desert maintenance ordinances that are in place. We're not allowed to mess with these deserts. Um, the city of Scottsdale is all about protecting the Sonoran Desert. 
and we respect that a lot. You know, the, those have been the big changes, is just protecting the desert, changing the grass on the greens, and the fairways and tees, like I said, are still the same. You know, you go back to the early 80s when the club was developer-owned. Obviously, it was a, a, a different resource pool to, to get the club to where the developer wanted it because it was all about selling real estate. Um, you know, today, yeah, we're still trying to sell some real estate. We don't own any. It's all resale, but... We are, still, we are still trying to, to capture that resale market. Um, but now that the members own it and run it, but, you know, working with the boards and the committees, I, I get involved with that a lot. I stay, you know, in the face of them, if you will, be seen, um, communicate a lot. And um, those kinds of things help out a lot, and they go a long way. What were mowing heights there in 1982, and what are they today? Fairways, we used to mow them, if I remember correctly, I think we were in a half-inch range, um, maybe five-eighths. Um, now we're mowing them down at 350, 300, between 300 and 350, depending on the time of year. Um, greens, uh, the heights have probably gone down a little bit, um, but with the newer technology of the mowers and the groomers and the brushing and the extra blades and and the frequency of clip and all that kind of thing, the heights really haven't gone down a whole lot. Um, you know, we can still keep our green speeds at our, our adopted standards, 10 to 11. But as I say that, the greens here have softened a little bit over the years from the couple of rebuilds they've had. And so the heights haven't changed a whole lot for the green speed. Some of our previous conversations, we've talked at length about how hard it is today to find good help. Mm. How, how has the business changed well, the recruiting pool is, is a challenge right now, and, and I'm sure I'm not alone on this one. You know, back in the day, it was pretty easy to get, you know, kids coming out of high school or whatever that wanted to do a summer job. You know, in our environment, being as close to Mexico as we are, it was pretty easy getting help from there. But the, the whole new, the, the whole immigration thing, which probably a subject for another matter but, or another time, but that's made it a bit of a challenge. Um, I've got some guys working here now that I hired back in 1982 when I was here then. And um, so that's, what, 33, 34 years they've been here. Um, but, you know, the high school kids coming out today, they don't they don't want to do this outside physical labor. The college kids, ASU's got, as everybody knows, a huge campus. But there are so many places down there for them to get jobs and not have to travel to North Scottsdale to work. So that makes it a big challenge. I've come to the conclusion that every Hispanic that is legal, able, and willing to work is working. So that leaves, you know, the college kids and, and the natives, if you will, for the recruiting pool. And boy, they just, they don't want to do this outside work. We're having a huge problem with it right now. I'm down five on the golf course, and I have a second crew that does all the landscape and amenities care, tennis court care, and that crew's down four as well. I don't, I wish I could put my finger on it. Every place you go, anywhere around the valley, there are help wanted signs. Restaurants, retail stores, grocery stores, the, um, the convenience stores, there's help wanted signs everywhere. I don't know how they're going to fix it. I've got some ideas, but I'm not the politician to make it happen. Well, Phil, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your time, and it was a pleasure chatting with you. 
Well, I enjoyed it. I, anytime, John, and it's always good to hear from you. And if you ever need anything, you know where I am. <laughs>